Good morning. Uh, Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews." Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Prash. It's, uh, I'm the senior minister here. It's great to have you in the church with us this morning. Strange morning with the rain, of course, but um, also uh, NCLS survey. I'll explain that a little bit later in the service, but uh, we won't let that kind of crowd in on our time together. We're actually going to spend some time uh, reflecting on that passage from John's Gospel because this term... Sorry, Sue, I've just got... I think it may be fallback or something... Um, uh, this, this term, we're spending time thinking about John's account of Jesus' life. Uh, before we do that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and minds and show us the Lord Jesus Christ and make us more like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've ever been in the supermarket and you see, you've probably seen this, this little interchange take place, where there's a child saying to their parent, I really need this. I really need this. And of course, more than likely, the thing they need, they don't need. It's you know, some, some food item or it's a toy. Uh, it, it's something that they're playing with in the playground at that particular moment. And, but the child is convinced that they need this item. And of course, the parent is highly aware that they don't need this item. This is a very interesting moment because it reveals, I guess, something which at first glance we don't even, we don't even think about, but is true, that each of us has needs, or at least we think we have needs. There are things in our life which we think we really need. Now, the child in that moment genuinely believes that they need the chocolate or the toy or whatever it is that they're begging for, the parent, from a different perspective, believes that they don't need it at all, in fact. They might want it. Have you ever ever used that line if you're a parent? You don't need it, you want it. Of course. Such is the wisdom of a parent. The question of what do we really need, though, is an important question to answer, and it is in part the question that Jesus is is delving into in John 4, in this very well-known account. Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman. I think, in a sense, he's actually establishing a contrast. John, John who writes Jesus' account, he says later in the, in the account, actually, there's lots of things about Jesus' life. I can't include them all. So I've included what I think is helpful for faith. And, and he, I think he's chosen this account, because the other gospel writers don't include it. He's chosen this account as a contrast a contrast to the account of Nicodemus before. Yeah. The religious man, morally pure and upright. And then there's the Samaritan woman, who's very different. Now, Jesus uh, goes through a conversation with this woman, and as he does, we see different levels of need emerging in the course of this conversation. In verse 6 and 7, Jesus comes to this well. He comes in the middle of the day. It was about noon, we're told. And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Why she's there at noon, when it's the hottest part of the day, most commentators sense that she's probably going there when she knows no one else will be there. Jesus has come to the well and he says, will you give me a drink of water? They have something in common. They both have a need here. They both have a need. And and what is interesting is that the first need that strikes us is, I guess, our basic, what we'd call our basic need, the great skit between Pippi and Adam, by the way, that's Adam Jolliffe, who was in the, um, in the uh, 
puppet theatre, now that the kids are gone, I'll reveal that to you. Uh, it's not a real person, Cookie Monster. Anyway, Adam is from YouthWorks College. He's coming to train uh, kids and youth leaders this year, uh, and that's excellent. That's just such a great step in terms of our children's and youth ministry. He's training the leaders this afternoon, so he's here uh, today in the service as well. That, that skit reveals one of our very basic needs. We need water to survive. We actually need water to live. That's a real need. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't dismiss that need. In fact, he has the same need. He has the same need. But what emerges very quickly in the account by verse 13 is, despite that need existing, it is not a need that can be satisfied. It's not a need that can be satisfied. So Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's just a reality of the human life. You get thirsty, you drink, it's satisfied, you will get thirsty again. You will get thirsty again. The conversation goes further, though. Jesus, Jesus is just displaying a very highly intuitive level of pastoral insight here because he keeps having this conversation. He changes it almost immediately, though. In verse 16, he says, Go call your husband and come back. And so the conversation, though, it's, it's on this surface level, necessary but surface level of need, water, thirst. This is what the woman needs, this is what Jesus needs. But Jesus then says this, and by doing so, unlocks a deeper level of need that the woman has. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about being loved. He's talking about connection. He's talking about relational affirmation. And she comes back almost immediately and says, I have no husband. You're right when you say you have no husband, says Jesus. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. This is another level of need. It's like it's a deeper level of need in a sense. We all need thirst, but even more, we all need to be loved, to be affirmed, to be valued, to be treasured. And yet the woman's story reminds us once again, it is not easily satisfied, that need. It's not easily satisfied. She's had five husbands. That's really extraordinary because in her culture to have more than one husband was kind of frowned upon in many ways. To have five. She's become a social pariah, but she's willing to cast off social rejection to get this deeper level of intimacy that a man might provide her with. The one you have is not even your husband now, says Jesus. You know, it's really interesting. We live... We live in a therapeutic age that says your needs can be satisfied. But Jesus, in this conversation with the woman, reveals that's just not true. It's not true. It doesn't mean that they're wrong needs. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. They're not necessarily bad needs to want love and affirmation, to, to need the, the relief from the daily pressures and challenges, physical challenges of life. They're, they're legitimate needs. They just can't be satisfied fully. Like thirst will return, so will the need to be loved return. I think one of the great lies we have been told is that's, that someone can satisfy that or something can satisfy it. You can't. And that's what we learn. But what's more, Jesus, is, in a sense, as he's going through this conversation, he's going through these levels of deeper needs, right? The first one, the second one. And then I guess he's established trust with the, the woman at the well. And so she opens the door to the deepest need. She says, I can see that you're a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And this is where this conversation rests. This is the deepest need. Lands with worshipping God. It lands with relating to God, having assurance before God, coming to the kind of the eternal question, how will I stand before God? She's asking, have, have we done it right? Can we be confident? You know, this, this little interchange with Jesus and the woman reminds us of this very clear truth. You have needs, but you have one deep fundamental need. It's actually... Will you be right with God? Will you have eternal assurance with God? Can you meet him? Now, you know what? John Lennon famously saying, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. And that's actually how most people think of their life. That's how they operate. They just imagine there's no heaven and no hell. And what Lennon's saying is, if you don't think about those things, your life becomes less complicated, actually. Except when someone dies. Shane Warne died yesterday, early in the morning on Saturday. And Emily and I were saying, my wife and I were saying, this summer, because he's been on the commentary incessantly, he's been like a voice in our life. We, for the cricket, we watch cricket at home. He's been, he's been in our life every, almost every night of the week. So it was kind of shocking to think, oh, this, this voice which you're hearing is just not going to be there. Of course, for his friends, and there's real grief of missing a family, missing this person in their life. But really interestingly, is the level of shock that most people experience when they hear that news yesterday. And their shock is this. Here is this character who's larger than life. He's only 52. He's an international sports person and he dies suddenly in the night. And people are shocked because people who are larger than life don't die. They kind of just quietly disappear into the, into the background. Sportsmen don't die of heart disease. But Shane Warne died. And suddenly... When someone dies, you have to face up to the question of heaven or hell. That's what's most shocking about this moment. You can imagine there's no heaven or hell until you're faced with the full stop of death. Why, why are most people who don't know him shocked? Why? Because, I mean, he's not playing cricket anymore anyway. It's not like that entertainment is, is, is no longer there anymore. It was already gone. It's because in a moment, someone who's indestructible has proved their mortality. And it's then you see that you're confronted with the deepest need. It's then when you start to see that thirst and relationships, as, as great as they are, do not have anything to match with the final question of how will I stand before God? How will I stand before God? You know, during the pandemic, the, all the surveys suggested in the first half of the pandemic, prayer rose 50%. Confronted by our mortality, this is our question. This is our question. And what the story that we are encountering John 4 says is there are all these levels, as Donkey shares to Shrek, there are levels, there are layers. There are layers to an ogre, there are layers to you and me. But the deepest questions have to be answered. They have to be answered. 
Actually, I think this is... Jesus cares less about whether you find the right partner as to whether you find the right God. Do you know that? He doesn't... He cares less about whether you marry the right person. He cares more about whether you found the right God. I think this is the real challenge, actually. You know, conservative Christian cultures, we're all worried about who we marry. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jesus doesn't approve of the decision that the woman made. But he moves on from that part of the conversation very quickly because that's not the point of the conversation. The question is not primarily, if you're a parent, who will your child marry? How financially secure will they be? They're all needs, but they're not ultimate needs. They're not the deepest and most important need. The need that your child has, that you have individually, personally, is how will they stand before the Lord? How will they stand before the Lord? And I think, I honestly think, one of the places where we really do trip up on this here at St. Stephen's is we're too too consumed with the outer circle. We're too consumed with that need. I mean, it's not a wrong need, but it's not the most important one. Our job, our great privilege as God's church is to address that central need. How will someone stand before the Lord? It's so important. And Jesus' whole interaction with this woman is to get her past those early stages and to confront her deepest need. Now, what's the solution? What deals with the deepest need? That's the question. She lands at this issue of worship. She's finally got to the core question in her life. What's the answer? Well, Jesus, interestingly, he answers by telling her what it's not. The woman says, asks her this question, uh, where, where should we worship? And he says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, that's Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans had decided that worship should take place, or in Jerusalem. See, the Samaritans, they only knew like five books of the Bible. They only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament as scripture. So they'd set up their whole sense of worship based purely on those first five books. They didn't read any of the other Old Testament. The Jews, of course, had read the whole Old Testament and had seen that God had called the Jewish nation to have their worship in Jerusalem. Samaritans had it in in Samaria. This was a point of their great division actually that should say john 4 sorry that the reference is incorrect but jesus is actually saying your false religion is not the way but interestingly neither is the old religion of the jews how do you deal with your deepest need not through religious practice he says not through religion not the false way of the samaritans or the old way of the jews he says actually If you want to deal with the deepest question, you need to worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And religion, you see, doesn't deal with that. It doesn't help you to worship God in spirit and truth for a couple of reasons. First of all, verse 24, if you have the Bible in front of you, you'll see it. He says, God is spirit. And so Jesus says the problem with trying to worship God through religion is religion is an earthly man-made thing. But God is spirit. It's like you're talking on different wavelengths. I don't know if you've watched the Back to the Future series. You know the third installment where Marty McFly, he goes back to the Wild West. My pop culture reference for the morning. Some people are looking at me with quizzical faces. Old and young, actually. Um, 
he goes back to the Wild West, he finds out that his technology of, the, of 1985, which is, of course, archaic now, uh, is, is so far advanced in the Wild West, he can use none of it. It's not even that he's gone digital back to analog, he's gone digital to no electricity. And, and what Jesus is saying is, it's a bit like that with God. You, 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 you're talking, you're trying to encounter God in ways which he just is not. You're earthly, he is spiritual. You're on a completely different wavelength. And so religion is just perpetuating the earthly practice. It doesn't allow you to connect with God at a spiritual level. Secondly, religion doesn't allow you to worship in truth necessarily. You can do everything right, but your heart can be completely elsewhere. I mean, that's, that's the great problem for Israel in the Old Testament. They are hypocrites. They do everything right on the outside. They comply with religion, but they're liars in their hearts. Religion doesn't mean that you will worship in spirit and truth. And so Jesus says, it's not religion. What's the answer? Verse 14, come to me, he says. Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. He says, the only way you can be sure that your deepest spiritual need when you stand before God on the last day is if you come to him. If you come to Jesus. There is no other way. I really want to be clear about that. Someone really asked that question very helpfully, I remember a few weeks back in the evening church during our Q&A time. Is there, why, why do we have to say Jesus is the only way? Because Jesus says, I'm the only way. He'll say in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not just John's gospel. Jesus is in Matthew 11, 27, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. If you want to be sure on that last day, only Jesus. That's what he's bringing home to her right now. And why? Because he will give you living waters. Living waters. He's using an image there, of course. He's not saying, I'll give you a cup which will never run out of water. He says, I'll give you his spirit. Glenn kind of hinted at it last week when we talked about baptism and Jesus' reference in John 3. But in John 7, it becomes explicit. Jesus, at a festival, gives this speech. He says, whoever believes in me, as scriptures said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John comments, by this he meant the spirit. Jesus will give you, when you come to Jesus... He will give you his Holy Spirit. And so you can worship God in spirit. But you must come to Jesus. You must come to Jesus personally. That means you need to talk to Jesus. You need to actually talk to him. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it means you talk to him. Actually, it means you talk to him all the time. You don't just have him in a location. He's not just on Mount Gerizim, or he's not just in Jerusalem, or he's not just in this building, or just in your gap group on a midweek night. You talk to Jesus all the time because you actually have a personal relationship with him. You're talking to him all the time, and he comes with you, and he's in every moment and decision of your life, and he actually impacts every decision of your life. That is what it looks like to come to Jesus. That is what it looks like to come to him and receive living waters. It is a personal relationship 
with Jesus Christ. You need to meet Christ because that's actually what is important for this woman, isn't it? She meets Jesus. Now, of course, the problem is that most of us don't want to meet Jesus. We just want Jesus to meet our needs. Most of us don't want to meet Jesus. We just want Jesus to meet our needs. We want Jesus to look after our kids. We want Jesus to find us the right spouse. But those, those things mean you don't really want to meet Jesus, you want to meet the right spouse. That's what's more important to you. You want your kids to be safe. That's your God. Jesus is just a means to ushering that in. And actually, that's what the woman's doing for most of this conversation, actually. Jesus is just a means to provide things for her. But eventually something changes. She really does meet Jesus. We didn't read it, but at the end of this chapter, she goes to the nearby town. And she becomes the most extraordinary evangelist who tells people all about Jesus. And basically, most of the town seems to get converted. Why? What changes for her? Well, it's right at the end of our reading, actually. She meets Jesus as the Messiah. She says, I've come to meet the Messiah. Now I know you're the Messiah. The word Messiah is really interesting, actually. It's only found twice in the New Testament. We use it all the time. It's only twice in the New Testament. This story, and a little bit earlier, in that account of Philip and Nathaniel. Only twice. It's actually a Hebrew word that talks about the anointed one. In the Hebrew, the Messiah was like this, this prince, this kingly character who came to bring judgment, who came to bring rescue. He was powerful. He was extraordinary. He was glorious. And the woman has come to understand that Jesus is this Messiah. But actually, it's something even more extraordinary. She's come to understand that the Messiah is here at a well in Samaria. Isn't that extraordinary? She doesn't even know the whole Old Testament. (laughs) But she knows the Messiah when she meets him. And Jesus comes. It says he it implies he goes out of his way to make sure that he's at this well to meet this woman. Because the Messiah is the king who goes to the cross for you. You understand? When you know Jesus as that kind of Messiah, this, this, this kingly servant who will lay down his life for you, when you encounter Jesus as that person, you will want to meet Jesus. He won't be the provider for your needs. He will be sufficient in and of himself. We need to meet Jesus the promised one, the coming saviour, who comes to a woman outcast at a well in the heat of the day and will pour himself out for her and for you, if you'll accept it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is truly the Messiah, but not how we might conceive of it, the Messiah who is the good shepherd who will lay down his life for us. Would you open our eyes and hearts to see him?
and know him and to welcome him in. In Jesus' name, amen.